I want to talk to you. <laughs> Image is nothing, and thirst is everything. Uh, you guys, some of you guys probably remember that commercial that we played up here. Uh, you know, it was came out in the late '90s, and um, and and but those words really for me have, have been for a lot uh, for several years since I first saw them. Those things really spoke because image image is nothing and thirst is everything. Image is the thing that we that we try to put on for that, that other people see. Image is the thing that especially in this uh, this digital age uh, online, um, it's what we put out there for other people to see. We work hard for that because we want people to see what we want them to see, and we don't always like to see people to see the real us. But I want to tell you this morning that image is really nothing. An image has, has, is not going to get us anywhere. As a matter of fact, uh, Webster defines image, as, uh, it defines image as a mental representation, an idea, or a conception. Um, it's something that's not real. It's an idea. It's something that, an, an image is something we put up there. It's, it's, it's not the real thing. It's, it's kind of a copy of it, uh, a conception of what it is. Anybody familiar with the term catfish? Um, I'm not talking about the fish with whiskers that tastes really good if you fry it and fillet it. Um, catfish. There was a movie a few years ago, Think Manti Teow. Anybody know what catfish means now? Uh, catfish is something that actually, uh, today there's a TV show on MTV that was a movie. It's about people that actually go online and they pretend to be someone they're not, uh, so that's usually for the purpose of romantic uh, uh, relationship. They try to be somebody to attract somebody else. And they put pictures up there. They're not really... Uh, the Manti Teo thing obviously got pretty over the top, if you guys know the story. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that's out there. And I want to tell you that today, we as the church, sometimes we catfish the world. <laughs> we, we put on a perception, a facade, that uh, we're all that when we don't always have all that together. Uh, you know, we go out there, we, we, we work hard on our image, and we, 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 we want people to see that. And, and, and we go at it, and I don't know about you, but I, I got saved a long time ago, and um, I've been in church my whole life, and I don't have everything together. I still make mistakes, and I still drop the ball. But sometimes we go out and we pretend we do, and, and, and people see through it. You see, here's the problem with image. Image, you heard a while ago, freight train in the commercial, he said, what's my motivation? What's my motivation? He asked what his motivation was. Well, you know, image asks that same question, but when it, when it comes to image, we ask it a different way. We ask, what's in it for me? You know, image, we, we put an image out there. We try to be something we're not for people to see, not because it's their best interest. It's in our best interest. We want people to think better of us. We want people to see something we have. But image asks that question, what's in it for me? Now, this is the story of um, the alabaster box. You guys, it's, it's actually in Scripture a couple of times, and there are a few little things. But um, uh, the, uh, a lady, Jesus was, at a, Jesus was at a guy's house, and a lot of Pharisees were there, and there were some people there, and they were, uh, they, they were kind of having a little house meeting. And um, this woman comes in, and she's got this, this alabaster box or this, this jar of costly perfume, really expensive perfume. She comes in and she falls at Jesus' feet and she breaks it over his feet and she washes his feet with his perfume. Um, now you gotta understand, you know, we think of things like feet as like, you know, ew, you know, that's why would you do that? But you see, in those days they, they wore sandals and things and there were dirt roads, they didn't have paved roads, and so you know, usually when you went to somebody's house, they would wash their feet. You know, that was kind of the uh, the thing because they had sandals and they got dirty and, and they'd be going that. Well, this woman came in and she washed Jesus' feet with perfume. And so people were kind of looking like, you know, that's, that's kind of weird. Well, Judas, um, Judas says this in John chapter 12. He said, why wasn't this oil sold and the money given to the poor? It would have easily bought 300 silver pieces. 
Now, and that makes sense, right? You know, you, you got this expensive perfume. Why didn't we do that? We could, you know, we could buy lots of donuts and shoes for orphans in Romania. Um, we're not buying donuts for orphans, but anyway. Um, so, but, but here's the thing. He said this not because he cared two cents about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of their common funds, but also embezzled them. Dude, how, how much guts do you have to have to embezzle from Jesus, you know? But uh, he said, Jesus said, let her alone. She's anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. You see, Judas had an image. Now, this, if this is a spoiler for you, go back and read the story. You know, Judas, we find out he's not a really good guy. Um, he was one of the disciples. And, and um, you know, you can argue, you know, did Jesus know ahead of time? Because Jesus, you know, God knows everything. But just a few weeks after this, Judas is going to betray Jesus. And Judas is the one who turns him over for 30 pieces of silver and, Judas, and Jesus is taken and beaten and eventually crucified. Judas put on a facade because he's a disciple and he had an image that he tried to put out there. And so when this situation came, his first thought is, dude, don't waste that stuff. That's money right there. But, you know, the truth of the matter is the image says, don't do that. We could sell and give it to the poor. The truth of the matter is that he didn't think he wasn't worried about the poor. He was thinking, dude, my cut of that would be, you know, pretty good. So why don't you? He knew an image does that. Image begins to ask, What's in it for me? You see, we put on this image when we go out because we want people to, to think good of us. And, and, and we tend to justify it. We think that, you know, if we go out as the church and, and I go out there, then if people think that I'm really good, then they'll think Jesus is really good. The truth of the matter is, when you see people with a facade, you see people, they wear a, a mask or something, you know, when, when they come out, we just try to be this image. When you begin to see them in the light of day, you begin to see through that. You see, the problem with image is not only do they ask what's in it for me, image can be misleading. Image is something that, you know, we do that, the reason we put on a mask, the reason that we, the reason that we, we, we try to have an image that's different than who we are is because we don't necessarily like who we are. We want to look different or we want people to think something else. An image is misleading. We, we look at people and we think they have it all together. We see people on television. We see people, uh, you know, uh, they're, you know, in office or whatever. And we think, man, they've got it all together. These guys are, these guys must have it really good. Philip Seymour Hoffman, just a few weeks ago, died of a drug overdose. Brilliant, brilliant actor. Um, and most people that, fought, that saw Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, if you knew anything about him, he had a drug addiction when he was younger, but he'd been clean for, I think, 20-something years. Um, the guy, brilliant actor, fantasy, he's won an Oscar. Um, he died of a drug overdose. And people were shocked because they saw him and thought, well, man, he's got it all together. He's got money, he's successful, he's rich. And he was looking for something. See, here, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't look at the same way we do. This is the story, uh, if you guys know the, the, the story of Israel, they didn't have a king when they first started out. Um, God was their king. They were a theocracy. They were God. We're a democracy. They were a theocracy. God was the head. And, um, and so he used, of course, he, he had prophets and things that he spoke through to the people. But they decided they want a king. Everybody else has a king. We need a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want to maintain our image and be like other people. So he gave them a king uh, in Saul. And Saul was a good-looking guy. The Bible says he was tall, head and shoulders above everybody. Good-looking guy. Um, good warrior. You know, and so, hey, he makes a good king. Well, you find out he doesn't become a very good king. And so it's time to replace him. And so God sends Samuel, the prophet... He sends him to Jesse's house because he said the next king of Israel is going to be at Jesse's house. So go and look at his sons, and I'm going to tell you which one it is, and you'll anoint him the new king of Israel. So he goes, and, and he brings it all to his son. And the first one, I think his name was Eliab. God, Samuel looks at him. He's a good-looking guy, tall guy. And Samuel's thinking, this is the one, man. This is going to be easy. 
God looks at Sam, uh, he tells Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face, but God looks at the heart. You see, God knew that there was something, a king that was going to rule his people was going to be called on to do things, was going to be called on to make decisions. And God looked on the inside and knew there were probably things in this young man that he wouldn't be able to do. And so God looked at him and said, that's not the one. Now, the story goes on. He looks through all the sons that he has there, uh, Abinadab and all the other sons. He brings them in. He looks at them. And, and uh, Jesse brings all these sons in. And, and God, everyone, eh, no, no, not him. And so they get to the end. And Jesse's like, uh, uh, Samuel looks at Jesse and he's like, you got any more kids? Your wife pregnant? Is there somebody, you know, because there's something else that's not. And so he says, well, I do have another son, but he's out in the field. And so, of course, this is David. You guys know, most of you know the rest of the story. They bring David in. God looks at him and says, that's the one. Now, here's the deal. David was not the one. His own dad, David's own dad, when told that one of your sons is going to be the next king, was like, well, it's not David. So it's going to be one of these others. He knew, he looked, and he, he just he didn't see it. Because, you see, we look at certain things. When, when we elect officials, a lot of times, we look at things. We, uh, we, we like people ever since... They say that everything changed in television. John F. Kennedy was the first president elected during the television era. And one of the things that got him elected, he was a young, good-looking guy. Now, this is not about politics. I could care less what party you're affiliated with or anything like that. This is about the fact that we look at things and we elect people quite often because of the way that they look and things that we think are important when the truth of the matter is God looks at the heart and God looks at the inside. The problem with image is that it is misleading. The image we put up misleads people, and the images that other people put up around us are misleading. As a matter of fact, image is not only misleading, it's often absolutely wrong. Now, this is, this is Jesus talking to Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees were the guys, these were the guys that would, you know, they were on TBN, and they were, uh, you know, they, they were making the things. These were the guys that if you had a question about, about law and Scripture, these were the guys you would talk to. They had it all together. And everybody went to them. This is Jesus talking to these guys. He said, do you have any idea how silly you look writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons? You're hopeless, you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You burnish the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun while the insides are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. I love the message Bible. It just kind of puts that, you know, you can get a picture. When I say maggoty, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisees, scour the insides and then the gleaming surface will mean something. You're hopeless. You religion scholars and Pharisees, you're frauds. You li- you're like manicured grave plots. The grass is clipped and the flowers are bright, but six feet down it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin you're total frauds. Jesus might have been unhappy with some of the things they were doing at the moment. Um, I can kind of infer that from what he's saying there. Uh, but you know, this is the thing. These were guys, and so many times we kind of get like that. We work on the outside so much, and we come around, you know, and we come out, and we tell, you know, we puff our chest out, and we talk about things, and we 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 try to use misdirection. If you were here a few months ago when I had a chance to speak, I talked about the S word. We talked about sin, and we talked about how how you know we like to use misdirection. We don't know what to do with sin, so we hide it and we compare it. God knows what to do. God forgives it, and God erases it, and takes care of it. We see. We don't know what to do with it. And so we're like these Pharisees so many times. We know that we've got a problem. So we figure, well, the best way to do it is to, if we take care of the outside. 
It's kind of like selling a house. My wife loves to watch the shows, you know, um, uh, house hunters and things like that, where people are looking for houses. It always, it's always funny to me. Somebody goes in the house, and the first thing they complain about is the furniture. And it's like, dude, you're buying the house. You're not buying the furniture. It's just, you know, it's not a big deal. Oh, the walls, this is a hideous color. If only there was something that would cover it, like paint or something, I, you know? <laughs> But you see, that's the way we are. We, we have these things and, and, and we have problems on the inside. And rather than deal with them, we're like a used car salesman. We, put a, you know, we wash it, put a new paint job on it, and sell the thing. You know? and so that's, but if you don't take care of the problem on the inside, it's still rotted. And that's what Jesus is telling these guys is, you know what? You have a sin problem on the inside and you take care of the outside. You create laws and you do things. Now, here, here's, here's the thing about the Pharisees. If you go and study... What they would do, these are the guys, God gave, God gave Moses ten commandments. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus came along and says, you know, actually you condense these to two, love God, love people. If you love God, you're not going to have graven images, you're not going to worship other gods. If you love people, you're not going to covet, you're not going to do, love God, love people. And so these guys though, rather than condensing these things, these guys created more. And there were hundreds and hundreds of laws that they had. If you go back and look at Jewish law, they had to uh, they were washing their hands so many times a day at different times before they could do things. They had to, uh, you know, their food had to be prepared just right. There were lots of things that they kept adding to it. And, and, but all because they felt that, you know, if it was harder to attain, the fact that I've attained this means that I've got this image that I'm all that, that I'm something. God is calling us to do away with image. Now, here's the thing. I'm not telling you that you can go out and do anything you want to do, but it's like... Uh, Paul said, uh, in, in the scriptures, Paul said, I could do anything. Anything, anything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. See, you know, Paul understood that, you know, just because, uh, you know, th there, there are different things, but we, we try to put these, these layers on there. You know, you can come to Jesus if you can act like this. We put things out there. We want you to come to our church, but first you have to do this and this and this and this. And Jesus says, I want you to come. But we put image ahead of everything else. And image is the thing that's wrong. Image is the thing that's misleading. Now, some of you guys are like, are you telling me that I don't have to do... No, I'm telling you that the image, that we try to wear a mask, and the problem with masks is at some point you have to take it off. You can put on a mask and you wear it, but the longer you wear it, when you eventually come to the place that you take it off, the harder it is. The longer you wear it, you begin to think that you're really that person. And you take it off and underneath, because you've, you've covered it up, there's, there's all these things, you know, there's bacteria and things that can grow there, all because it stays covered up and it never sees the light. Image is nothing. However, thirst is everything. You see, image is the thing that causes us because we want something else. Thirst is the thing that we're really craving for. Let me tell you, the Webster says that uh, Webster's dictionary says thirst is a strong desire for something. Thirst is something that it's it's this need that we have, this craving that has to be filled, and you're either going to fill this need or you're going to die. Thirst is a craving that we have, and you see, image is nothing, but thirst is everything. Thirst asks the question. Image says, "What's in it for me?" Thirst asks the question. What's my motivation? What is it that I need? What is it am I doing this? This is the psalmist David. He writes, uh, you may have heard this, that there's an old song that we used to sing in church, Search me, O God, and know my heart today, uh, if there be any wicked way in me. This is the verse. It says, Investigate my life, O God, 
Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me and get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong and then guide me on the road to eternal life. You see, thirst says, I need something. Image says, I've got something. Thirst says, I need something. Image is nothing because image says, I've already got this taken care of. But thirst comes to the point that says, I'm not satisfied. What do I need? What is my motivation? What do I need? And David says it. Search me, God, and find out what it is. As a church, that's what we're doing. You know, we're, we're in the process of, uh, uh, of, of looking for a, a new facility that we're going to be meeting in. Most of you guys know, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard that. And, and you know, we're doing that. And, you know, our prayer, we're going to talk about our prayer scriptures in a little bit, that, you know, our prayer is, God, open doors and shut doors. Search us. We're not about having the biggest, baddest church. We're not about having the most people. We're about reaching our community. We're about what you want. One of our scriptures, God, open the doors and, and close the doors. Lead us where you want so that we'll meet where you want us to meet. Search us. Guide us on the road to eternal life. Thirst is where it's at. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Thirst not only asks this question, but thirst also is a natural thing. Anybody ever been thirsty before? Anybody thirsty right now talking about all this stuff? Thirst is, <laughs> thirst is something that's a natural thing. Thirst is something we are. John Eldridge and, and, and Brent Curtis in the book, The Sacred Romance, they write this about thirst. If we try to gain transcendence through indulgence, soon enough familiarity breeds contempt, and we are driven to search for the mystery elsewhere. Um, Oswald Chambers, um, who, who's written a lot of things, he says, there's only one being who can satisfy the last aching abyss of the human heart and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirst is something that we, we search for. Now, we can fill these things with other things. You know, the first one they're talking about, if we try to gain transcendence through indulgence, if we try to fill that thirst with other things, we're going to get bored. And that's where people that, you know, they're thirsty, they try other things. Uh, when, you're, when, when, when you get thirsty, especially when you're younger, what's the first thing you do? You try to grab, you know, you're drinking. When I was a kid, it was Kool-Aid, you know, because that's my parents was Kool-Aid or my parents would say, we used to play out, we didn't have computer games. I'm old. This was just after the Civil War. And they, um, you know, and, and, and my parents would say, you know, there's a water hose outside. There's, there's something else, you know. Some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, water hose. Um, but, you know, we drink Coke. We try to, I, you know, when, when, when I was younger, it was Dr. Pepper, man. I wanted a Dr. Pepper. That was it. You know, whatever it is, we try to fill those things. But, you know, as you work and you really get thirsty, and the more you do, you understand that water sometimes is the only thing that will satisfy the thirst that your body has. Water is what it is. It's the true thing. Now, you can try to drink other things. You can, you, know, you can try to drink sodas. You can try to drink milk and all these other things. But when you're really thirsty and your body's dehydrating, water is what satisfies. Our thirst for God can only be satisfied by God. And you can try to fill that thirst with everything else, but it's not going to meet the need of the soul that craves something. Thirst is, thirst is natural. God doesn't ask us to deny our burning desires for intimacy, beauty, and adventure. Religion does that. Jesus invites us to intimate communion with Himself and His Father that satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. Religion is the one who says, we'd love for you to be a part as soon as you do this. Jesus says, come to Me and I'll take care of everything else. Jesus called us to be fishers of men. 
Uh, you may have heard me say this once before, but you know, I've never been fishing and caught a fish that was cooked and cleaned and ready to eat. Um, fish are dirty. They're nasty. They're scaly. They're slimy. You get a fish, the first thing you got to do is clean it. You got to gut it. You got to get it ready, fillet it, get it ready to cook. Um, people don't come ready. When you're fishers of men and you go out, you're not going to catch somebody who's all cleaned up, ready to go. God said, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Anybody that's tired, anybody that needs somewhere, come to me and I'll take care of it. Those who are hunger, those who thirst, those who seek, that's who God's looking for. There is an entire generation of people who are ready for something genuine because all they've seen for several generations is image. And they want something that's real. And they're thirsty for something that's real. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Thirst asks the question. Thirst is natural. But thirst is what brings life. In Matthew 5, 6, this is from the Beatitudes, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you read the preceding Scriptures, it says, Blessed are the, the poor in spirit, for they shall... They shall inherit the kingdom. Blessed are those that are, that are meek. Blessed are those. God talks about those that are hurting and those that are seeking. He said, these are the ones that I'm after. I don't need the ones who say they have everything. I need the ones who realize that they need something. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. There's another verse in Luke uh, chapter 11, I believe. Um, here's what I'm saying. Now, this is just before this, the disciples told Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he gives them the Lord's prayer and he talks. And then he says, here's what I'm telling you. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse or hide and seek game that you're playing. God is looking for those who are thirsty. Those who are tired of playing games. Those who want something real. You see, for, for too long, church has become something that we, that we come in and, and, and we do this. And if you've been around 2911 for any amount of time, you know that that's not something that we're about. We're not about the games, and we're not about, you know, uh, fill it, you know, get as many people as we can to come in so we can have our rosters look like that. We're about making a difference. We're about reaching a community of people so they know that there's really a God. You see, we're not concerned nearly as much with how we act inside these walls as how we act when we walk out the front door because that's where people see. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. This morning during first service when the worship team was singing uh, Freedom Reigns in this place, God really spoke to my heart and He said, you know, freedom reigns because this is good news for people today. There are some of you that are here, maybe you're like me and you've been in church or you've been around church your whole life. Um, my dad was a deacon, my mom was in a choir. I, I've, I've joked I was, in, I was born on Saturday in church on Sunday. Just I can't remember, I can't remember a time in my life not being in church. The good news is, it kept me out of a lot of trouble sometimes. The bad news is, the bad news is, there were times that I went because it was the thing to do. There were times that I put on a mask and tried to be something that I wasn't necessarily on the inside because I wanted to fit in with those people that I knew. Freedom speaks this morning and says, image is nothing. You shouldn't have to put on a mask when we come to church. If you're hurting on the inside, there are people in this church that love you and they want to help. And when we talk and we, you know, we can share with one another and we can be in community, 
with one another. We're in community with God and community with one another so that we can bear one another's burdens. We can share, we can help, we can talk. Now let me tell you, it doesn't mean that if you come in and you say, hey, listen, I need 50 bucks, people are going to say, okay, here's 50. They may say, why? <laughs> and if you hit them up five or six times, they may say, I think we need to talk about it. I'm going to get you to talk to Joey and some of these guys to help you with your money. I'm gonna get, you know, we're going to hook you up with a financial peace. Uh, we're going to hook you up with a financial peace class to try to help you learn how to do those things. I'm not saying it those, but I'm saying this community where we, live, where we love one another, help one another, serve one another, work together so that people outside look and say, hey, those guys are doing something that I want to be a part of. Too many churches are fighting and, and, and arguing. I've, I've been in too many church business meetings that were, that were like, you know, wrestling matches kind of thing. You know, it's, uh, it's, anybody ever been to one of those? You know what I'm talking about? So, you know, but God is, God is looking for something because thirst is everything. And when we begin to follow God and begin to get to the point that we're tired of everything else and thirst after God, then that's when we can find what we're looking for. So you're, this, you're here this morning, you're thinking, that's well and good. I get it. Image is nothing. You're right. I'm tired of wearing a mask. I'm tired of trying to keep up this facade. Um, I'm thirsty, so what do I do about it? The easy answer, obey your thirst. Thirst is natural. Thirst is something that we do. So what do you do? You obey your thirst. Hunger and thirst are innate and natural impulses that God built into everyone. Every living thing in the world has this. God put it there because He wants you, not because He wants you to suffer. He doesn't want you to die. The instinct leads you to go find food and water. You see, God put inside of us, if you don't eat for a few days, what happens? You get hungry. If you don't drink anything, what happens? You get thirsty. I, I talk to people who say, I, I, man, I was so busy, I forgot to eat today. I have never forgotten to eat, okay? I may not have had time, but I guarantee you, I have never forgotten to eat. And if I did, I'd get up out of bed and go eat because, I mean, you know, you don't maintain this image by not eating. God put inside us that not because He wants us to walk around feeling hungry or thirsty, because He wants us to go find food, because our bodies need that to sustain us. And the same thing in our spirit, God put inside a hunger and a thirst because He knows that we need the bread of life and the rivers of living water to sustain us or we're going to die. He doesn't want you to be hungry. He wants you to find Him. God made you hungry for something. He put a hole there because He wanted to fill that hole. Now, he could easily have said, you know, come in and said, okay, you know, and just made robots or something, but he wanted us. He made man in his own image and gave us a desire to find something, to know there was something more, and to find him. And he would give us that thirst. The problem with thirst sometimes, Jeremiah 2.13 says, my people, this is the prophet Jeremiah, God spoke to him and he says, my people have committed a compound sin. They've walked out on me, the fountain of fresh flowing waters, and they've dug cisterns. They've dug their own, their own water containers. Cisterns that leak. Cisterns that are no better than sieves. Cisterns that just have hole in them. So basically what he said, he said, he said, the problem is I've given my people water. I've given my people life, and they've gone to try to find water and life-giving water elsewhere. You see, the deal is with us is that sometimes you obey your thirst. Now, the problem with thirst is that Sometimes we don't know what we want. You ever been hungry? And I don't know what I'm hungry for, but I'm hungry for something. You've got this thing, this, you know, and you want, you try chips and brownies or whatever else, or anybody else getting hungry? Uh, 
You try things because you know you don't know what it is that you're looking for. And that's the way we are sometimes. And God told, God told Jeremiah about, uh, about the children of Israel. He said, look, he said, the problem is that they've left the fresh flowing water I have to go try to find it elsewhere. You need to remind him to come back that I've got it. Jesus was at the well. He and his disciples were, were out and uh, it was in Samaria. He was at the well. He sends the guys off to go find some food. Jesus said, I'm going to hang out here at the well. Um, funny how Jesus was always in the right place at the right time, isn't it? So Jesus is sitting there at the well and this woman comes up with a pitcher and she's going to draw water out of the well. And she lowers it down and begins to draw and Jesus says, I see you're getting water out of the well. And the woman in a very, you know, in King James English looks and says, duh. And uh, so then he says, you know, Jesus says, well, you know, if you drink that water, you're going to get thirsty again. And the woman looks and says, yeah. You know, this is, this is nothing earth shattering. Then Jesus, then Jesus draws the hook. Jesus is, is, it's really cool how he does this. He says, what would you say if I could give you water so you'd never get thirsty again? Now he's got the woman's attention. And he goes on to talk about the, the waters of life. Now you see, Jesus wasn't talking about water. Jesus used what they had right there. He was talking about the thirst that was placed inside of us. And this morning, Jesus would tell each and every one of us, if we were at a well in Samaria or wherever it was that he saw us, I could give you something so you'd never get thirsty again. I could give you something, you know, you, you think you're bored, I could give you something that you'd never be bored. I could give you a life and make you a fisher of men that you'd never be bored if you'd simply come to me. Image is overrated, it's false, and it's nothing. Thirst is everything. And this morning, we're called to obey that thirst that's in us. If you would, if you'd stand, a worship team's going to come to the front. Um, if you've been here, you know that we like to close around the front. There's nothing magical about the front here. There's nothing, uh, we're not trapping you up here so the ushers can get behind you and you have to get, you know, there's nothing like that. For me growing up in church, um, many times you'd hear a sermon and, and, and you'd hear it and get up and walk out and, and what may have touched you faded because you got out. This is an opportunity for you to take a step and say, you know what, God, image is nothing. I'm tired of, I'm tired of maintaining a false image. I'm thirsty this morning. And so as we come together, uh, I want to challenge you to do just a couple of things. These guys are fixing to play a song, and uh, Emma's going to sing. It says, Abba, I belong to you. Uh, I love the word. It says, you're more real than uh, the, the, the skin on my bones. You're more real than the song on my tongue. Um, you know, your thoughts are inside. You, you're inside me, God. You're my reality. See, image is false. God is reality. God is real. And so as they begin to sing this here in just a second, I want to challenge you two things. Number one, if you're tired, the same old, same old. If you've been going to church, and for you, maybe you're like me and you went for a long time and you may have even been a minister. And doing all that stuff, there was nothing there because you were simply trying to maintain an image. There was no, I was no happier than the day that I realized that all that image was false and I could drop all that and I could just simply be real. Because let me tell you, you, make, you put on a mask and you begin to put on an image because you don't think that you are good enough. We try to be something so that God will love us and think that who we really are is not enough for God. I want to shatter that myth this morning.
God made you in His own image. And He thinks you're beautiful. God created you, the Bible says, while you were still in your mother's womb, He knitted you together. And He made you exactly what He wants you to be. He gave you a personality to fit what He wants you to do. He made you who you are because He's got something for you.